Welcome to the Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my father. I'm Erwin McManus, and I'm Aaron's dad. And today, you've done something. You've done something over the weekend, and now we've got to deal with it. We've got to deal with it. On Sunday, you texted me and said, there's some drama going on. Sometimes you might call it criticism, but I like to think of it as provoking thought. And here's the deal. You have to understand that this is something, you've always been somewhat controversial my whole life. I apologize for that. So we'll talk a little bit about that today, but but I'm pretty used to this. I'm I'm pretty used to this. So we're going to call this episode, we might call this episode the clap back. All right, there you go. On God, no cap, clap back. <laughs> we're going to look at a clip from Are the we, last episode, Burnout. We're going to look at it, we're going to listen to it. We're going to look at it, and if you're, and if you're on podcast, we're going to listen to it, but if awesome. you're on YouTube, you're going to see it. And all, all that happens, let me just preface this. Ah, let's just jump right in. From my vantage point, the concept of burnout is a very white disease. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go and, home now. <laughs> and you, you just don't really hear a lot about burnout in Africa and, uh, or in Latin America. And, and, and then the Asian culture that is so driven by work, but they don't actually use the language of burnout. They don't know they have that luxury. And so there, <laughs> there are certain things that are, are dynamic psychological um, manifestations that need affluence and opportunity and freedom and education for them to gestate properly. Would you like to respond? <laughs> to which part, Aaron? Okay, here's the deal. So, so you said what you said, and then we have a friend on Instagram. You post the video to your Instagram, at Aaron McManus, and this is what our friend Matt says. The concept of burnout is a wide idea, quote-unquote. Seriously? You talked about cultures following that. The coal miners you speak of were many times white. Erwin, I have a lot of respect for you, but your logic is very flawed. Burnout is an American ideal, not white. Don't buy into that victim narrative. It doesn't help the black community. It only cripples them. I'm at a loss these days on how many churches are bowing to the culture and refuse to use common sense and facts, praying for you and those you're speaking to and leading in the wrong direction on this issue, brother. (laughs) Would you like to respond? Well, there's a lot in that one comment. Yes. And there's layers and layers of issues that are interconnected to one thought. Uh, I would say that the the anger or vitriol that came with that comment was less connected to me using the phrase white people than a feeling of a feeling um, of white powerlessness where as a, as a white American, you feel like everything's your fault and you're being now victimized just by being white, like you're, you're guilty for being white. And, and, and then when he made comments about me crippling the black community and things like that, I, I didn't feel like that was probably a genuine concern for the black community, um, but that's just my read. So let me just kind of go back to the beginning here. First of all, okay. I'm going to say what... I guess I'm not supposed to say. We have You've to, already said it, so. We have to lighten up. Okay. I mean, it's amazing how angry we get now over every little comedic statement. I mean, which, 
comedy is based on making fun of ourselves and saying things that everyone's thinking. It's amazing to me how easily offended we are as a culture. I feel like if you just touch any part of the American psyche now, everyone screams, ouch. So that's my first thing, all right? Okay. And, uh, but the second thing is to say, to, to, to make a joke about it's a white people problem or white people disease is um, not racist because you cannot be racist unless you see another race as inferior. The basic definition of racism is that you perceive another race to be inferior. I wasn't in any way commenting that white people were inferior. And so the idea of racism, I think, is being thrown out way too much. Um, and I, I can tell you, I, I've lived my life around people who saw races as inferior. As, um, as a Latin, I've been seen as inferior and been told I was inferior. And, uh, and I've seen Latins who see other Latin groups as inferior. And, uh, and this goes across the board in so many different races. It's true in Asia with Chinese, Japanese, and Koreans. Uh, racism isn't limited to white-black issues. And, and so I want to just step back and go, um, I would never have made the joke if I in any way felt that white people were inferior because I don't think of any race as inferior or superior, by the way. Okay. I want to step into this for a second. One, I, I, when people comment brother at the end. Yeah. It's so condescending. It's so condescending. And clearly we're not brothers. Clearly we're not brothers. And then he'll say, oh, but we're, we're brothers in our beliefs. We do not believe the same thing. We may not even believe in the same God. Mm. All right, come on. And there are people who believe in other gods who probably believe on this matter more closely to us than you. So you need to reconcile that. In a previous take, I said you were something, maybe a name, maybe it wasn't kind, but I'd like to say that your thoughts, and I don't know you, but what, from what I know about you, you are unwise. Good adjustment. I'm working on it. But this is why. This is why. Because Black Lives Matter, it is a movement, and it is also an organization. An organization, that's not what I'm talking about. The movement, that is what I'm talking about. Absolutely. I commented an emoji with a yawn, and then I commented Black Lives Matter. One, because I felt it was important that you see that we believe in what we believe in we lead at the level in which we lead. We have such a diverse church, and we are not compromising what we believe to get behind a movement. No, we, are, have, we have been a diverse church for 30 years. This is not new for us. Absolutely not. And so, before I started Mosaic, I started another church that was 90% black for a great season of time, then probably as it became more diverse, remained 60% black right. in a predominantly black community. So my concern and um, my value system for justice and social equality is not a woke um, response as so many white yeah. people, I'm going to say this, so many white people have sent me, stop being a woke pastor, and I'm like, wow, is this at the core of Christianity? I have cared about 
social equality and social justice my entire adult life. Yeah, it's interesting because one, there, there are, I hate that word because what do you want us to stay sleeping? Yeah. So you want us to be, well, I don't think the people who call us woke want us to be for anything except for mm -hmm. what they want us, to, what, what they believe already. So that's a bit of that issue. But I also do believe that we have been about this our whole life and our whole, and definitely the entirety of Mosaic existing. It is in the name. It is in the name. We've always been diverse. In your entire childhood, from zero to 18, you were never in a majority culture. No. You were always in an ethnic minority culture. No, and this gets me mad. This gets me, this actually gets me upset and heated because all growing up, I grew up in the hood. Mm -hmm. And not like, oh, the hood, like, you know, no, actually like the hood. Like yeah. South Dallas from zero to three, from three to what, 12, yeah. East LA, East Los, like Brady Street, L look it up. It's yeah. a church and then there's a project right across from it. <laughs> you could not go outside at night. Or, or in the daytime. Or in the daytime. <laughs> like, yeah, I grew up, you, 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 you would not put me in a white soccer league. No, I put you in an all Spanish speaking soccer league. I was, the, I was one of mm -hmm. two kids who spoke English. Like, it wasn't a bilingual team. No, and he, he was Costa Rican. And he was Costa yeah, and I'm, and I'm a Salvadorian, which yeah. is funny because he was super white, but his yeah. parents actually weren't white. He just yeah. was light-skinned. And, and then I was a Salvadorian. Neither, he spoke Spanish. I didn't. Mm -hmm. And it, you refused. You always swam against the grain of white suburban culture. Maybe we should call this run from the suburbs. Except that there's a lot of good people in the suburbs. There are, there are. I, I just mean mostly like, but the yeah, but there are safe certain thinking. concepts. Yeah, safe thinking. Yeah. So let me go back to my statement. I was, of course, being funny, but I was also putting a lot of truth in it. When I was talking about burnout, and I said it's a white white person's disease. If I could re-say it, I would say it's a white person's problem. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't change the white person part because I think it was pretty funny. And and what I really am saying is that. Burnout is a concept that you can really only embrace when you have the luxury of freedom and opportunity. That um, there, and that's why I pointed out coal miners. I don't know why he couldn't pick up the fact that I addressed coal miners because they were white. That coal miners were white, but they didn't talk about burnout. But they had to have struggled with depression. They had to have struggled with a sense of at times hopelessness and and being overwhelmed by the problems in life. But they just had to get up every day and go back to work. They didn't have a choice to, um, in that sense, um, to just go, hey, I'm stressed or I'm burnt out. And you have people all over the world. And then I start getting these responses going, um, you don't know China then because of the suicide rate or India because of the suicide rate. I'm going, China is, it's China's suicide rate is not because of burnout. It's because of hopelessness. And so would you now say that in America... Burnout is a result of hopelessness? I think that burnout We is, weren't even talking about America, by the way. We were in Amsterdam. Yes, and, and we just come out of Sweden and Denmark. And, 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 so, to, give, and to give yes. a little bit of context, you made a few statements. You made a few jokes as well. Yeah. And, and they weren't jokes. You have ability to be sarcastic and also truthful. Yes, and I am. I, I have to admit, I am sarcastic. And you I do said, like to use humor to make a point. Yes, and you said burnout was a white luxury. Yes, and and also, uh, if you're not white and you feel burned out, it's a, I think it's a luxury of the for those who are um, aren't surviving day to day. Maybe mm -hmm. they are mentally, but not but not financially. Right. 
an actual luxury. And, and you also made a comment about um, Africans, that, that, that um, Burnout was in Africa. That room was half African. Yes. Because there's oh, yeah, so right. many amazing, such an amazing African culture in Europe. So those laughs are from that. It wasn't, it was, it was actually people going, yeah, in our family household, that is not accepted. It is unacceptable to be burnt out. Yeah. If anyone should be burnt out are my friends from Korea who have such a culture of being driven and driven and driven by their family and this drive for honor, this drive for work ethic. And, and what's ironic is that the experience of burnout happens more to the generation of Koreans who come here. But depression does happen in Korea. And my whole point was the concept of burnout. And it's, it, it's really more rooted to me in spending your life doing things that you don't care about. Yeah, I, I think burnout is, is not the result of working hard. Burnout is the result of not having meaning in your work. And that's, that's the whole point that I was making. Um, but I do think that across Europe, across Scandinavia, across Australia, New Zealand, across the United States, uh, the concept of burnout exists more as a personal or cultural idea because we have so much opportunity to say, I don't want to do this anymore. And my whole point is when you're somewhere in the world and you're surviving, you never wake up in the morning going, gee, I want to change careers. You get up in the morning going, I have to survive. But you, yeah, you probably do. I wish I could do this. Yeah. I, I dream of a day where I could be this. But, but what you're saying is the, the ability to actually just walk away from something is, is a freedom that I think so many of us hold too apathetically. Yeah, and I, I was really addressing the diminishing characteristic of resilience. Right. That we're in danger of creating a culture with such little resilience that stress happens too easily. And here, I'll go even further with stress. See, I think stress is real, and I think burnout is real. That I want to be clear with that. But the problem is that, like, I've had this conversation, like, with, with your, your mom, yeah, you know, who grew up on a farm and grew up in a farming culture, and she was picking tobacco and working the fields when she was nine years old, ten years old, and she has a very hard time understanding burnout for people and stress. And I go, no, you don't understand. I said, the the stress experience is real for them. It's just that the experience comes at a much softer environment, and so people are experiencing the same level of stress now with a much milder environment than a person would have experienced stress in the past. And I think it's because of a diminishing um, characteristic of resilience, that we are developing a lack of resilience in our culture. And that is, that is a theme that we come back to often. I remember growing up, one, I want to hit a couple of things. You, you were innately controversial. Controversial is in your nature. I think as you've grown <laughs> in age, you're less controversial. Or maybe you're just as controversial as we're seeing now. But you, because of your age, people are less likely to come at you because I think there's wisdom a part of it. There's, you're also very intelligent. You're also very intimidatingly good looking and things, and oh, gee, thank you. things like that. No, I think one of the but, differences, oh, okay. when I was young, I was controversial, but it was older people yeah. who were saying, you're a 25-year-old punk. And yeah. why are you saying this? Or you're 35-year-old punk, why are you saying this? Yeah. And now I'm a 62-year-old guy, and so now I have young people going, 
wait a minute, why are you saying this? But they have to yeah. uh, disagree with, they can't say I don't have the experience. Yeah. They can disagree with my position. And that guy said, hey, you know, I think you're wrong and I hope, you know, and, but I look at questions, not just for the concept that the person is promoting or advocating for. I look at it for the motivation behind it. And I have to tell you, when I read the whole thing about, is it what, about your crippling black culture? And yeah. um, it felt so disingenuous that um, someone who seemed, who I would evaluate from reading it, and I would say, I, I trust my evaluations on these things. Here's a person who probably doesn't care at all about black culture right. or black people. And he's accusing me of, quote, hurting black culture. And I'm going, yeah, I don't think making fun of um, the opportunity to, to experience burnout because you're affluent or educated um, and you have the luxury of it because of your family and the safety net you have um, is uh, me crippling black society. Yeah, I, yeah, that, yeah. I just don't believe that he cares about black people. I'm just going to say that. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. I think, I, I don't think so either. I think he was a parent in the beginning of his, of, of his comment, and then it's it's quite clear in the end when so he calls you a, brother and saying that you're leading people the wrong way. Right. So here's what I would say: like, hold your positions, but don't be fake. Like, hey, if I'm going to be wrong, I'm going to be wrong. Uh, and we've said this from the beginning. Um, we're 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 probably going to be wrong a lot, um, but but we're not going to be dishonest. And to me, when you are advocating a position, don't pretend you actually care about something. Don't use some false compassion to advocate your position. Yeah, I, I think you. I think you actually inputted, projected empathy. I think it was very clear that this guy. There was no empathy. There was there. no empathy. No, no empathy. He has no care for the black community. He was saying, "You are the reason why the black community is like this." Yeah, and because I was. I made the mistake of making a joke around white people. And by the way, if you're, um, my, 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 my son looks, is pretty white. You look pretty white too. Uh, you know, as a Latin, I'm, I'm about as white as, uh, I know there are whiter Latins than there me. are whiter. You go to Mexico city. There are some, there are some white. Look at Canelo, man. Irish Canelo Mexicans. is like redheaded, blue eyes. He is like straight up <laughs> <He's> Irish. <ginger. laughs> yeah. And um, so people get, uh, Latins confused. We're a spectrum. Um, and um, and there's a spectrum of racism inside of the Latin culture. Oh my gosh, so much. Because there are people, native, there are Native American or Central American, you know, Salvadorians, yeah. Guatemalans, Mexicans yeah. who are dark, and they're ra and people are racist against them, and they're racist. Yeah. But I, I think we're not that, the only culture that's struggling yeah. with this. No, but I think there are several things we can learn here. One is stop trying to infuse into a person's words your malintent. Listen carefully to a person's motive. What's their intent? Yeah. When a person says something, what are they actually saying? Yeah. And what's their intention behind it? When you're talking about issues that everyone already has preconceived opinions, you have to say things in such a way that it jars people to think. And that is a part of what I do. I use language to violate the way we see reality. And, and we're in a culture right now where you have to be so PC you have to be so careful. You have to be so guarded. You have to be really careful not to say anything so you're not uh, canceled and blacklisted. And, um, and I think we should listen to people's intent and pay attention to what they're saying and what they, um, the meaning behind what they've said. 
mean, if you listen to my statement in its entirety, it makes perfect sense. And there really isn't a lot of confusion there. No, there's so much confusion. It doesn't make perfect sense because I don't <laughs> okay. think people think at a deep level. I don't think people think on a deep level. And if you're listening and you're watching this uh, and, and you feel like you don't, you can. There's hope for you. <laughs> At 22, 23, you're always challenging me to think deeper. 22, 23, you said your biggest failure in your 20s will be if you do not develop a worldview. I did not have a concept. And I'm your son and we are close. For what that constructing a worldview actually meant, Mm-hmm. what I believed, how I believed. And you're talking outside of faith. You're talking about ideology, mm-hmm. human existence, our motives, our purpose, our drive, our intelligence, our philosophy, the way we see the world, the way we see humanity and the way we see the interaction. Mm-hmm. People are really great with words, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's so easy for us, whether we're empathetic, whether we're sensitive, whether we're intelligent, whether we're jaded, there's so much bitterness that can be had and so much, so many of our fires inside of us can be fueled by bitterness and frustration and words. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get a grasp on that, if we don't control or manage or have that self-mastery that you talk to me a lot about on what is actually feeding my soul, then we will turn out a lot like I think maybe our friend who commented something that was backhanded and X, Y, Z. And I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just saying this is a part of the conversation. And when you comment, mm-hmm. welcome to the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think comments are great. And um, I feel like a part of the purpose of doing Battle Ready is to create conversation. But I, I want to go back, you know, when I was uh, in school, uh, you know, in the 60s, uh, in elementary school, we had to fill out forms every year. I'm not sure why, but, and every year it would say, are you, um, white, Caucasian, black, or Oriental. I know now it's Asian, but that's what it said then. Yeah. Or other. And I would go home, and, and I wouldn't know, and I would go home, and I'd say, which one am I, Mom? And so every year, I would have to circle other. Wow. And so I grew up as other. And, and then in the choices, and my mom said, well, just circle white. But I felt like, why do I want to always choose a default mode of the categories that people give me? And, and frankly, I think the moment we see ourselves limited by our color, um, we've actually done ourselves a disservice. You know? And um, it's so much easier to make fun of yourselves. And, and that's why I always say the best humor is the ones you're making fun of yourself. Yeah. You know, and the best humor is is based on looking at your own culture and your own life journey and realize, you know, that we all do things that are so um, so ironic, right? And that's why I think I, I love the marvelous Mrs. Maisel because, you know, only a Jewish comedian can make fun of Jewish culture in a way that she does. And 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 I think that there are some things to learn in that, you know, and, and I think part of my own identity is I've never really identified myself by a color or by a race. I've always seen myself as a part of all of humanity. And I, I wish that I long for us to be able to get past conversations about race, <clears throat> not because we shouldn't have them, but I hope one day they become irrelevant. 
that we're talking about character. We're, we're, you know, maybe we're talking about ideologies, right? Because right now in our culture, we have an interesting dynamic. If, if you're black, but you're a conservative, other black people are saying you're not black. You know, if you're Latin and you're not one way or another, then suddenly, oh, well, you're really Latino. And I, I feel that we need to accept that people are diverse, that even by our person's skin color or their nationality or their ethnicity, it doesn't define who they are. We're so much more than the color of our skin, so much more than, you know, our heritage or ethnic background. And, uh, and in that sense, um, I hope that one day these conversations can help us elevate to a better conversation. Yeah, and I think just to wrap, can we wrap this up? I think yeah, we're sure. close to the end. I think we were driving, we went and saw a movie last night. We went and saw Tenet. Yeah, I loved it. It was amazing. I loved it. It, it felt like home. It felt so good. It felt it, like our conversations on Friday nights. It did. And <laughs> and we were driving home talking about the plot and, and everything. And, and we went quite far. We, we drove 45 minutes to a movie theater that was open where we could watch it in a pretty much empty movie theater. We had to leave L.A. County. Yeah, because L.A. does not have open movie theaters we're right no now. We're no longer a part of free America. No. So <laughs> we are um, we, we drive and we're driving through the neighborhoods in which we grew. I grew up in. Yeah. Where Mosaic started in East Los Angeles. Kind of... Where, near where I went to high school, near where, you know, you ended up buying an, a house or, or, or renting a house kind of in the suburb a little bit, mm-hmm. but it was still L.A. County. But, and, and we were driving through, and it was me, you, and our friend David Arcos, who's been around since a little kid, and now he's married and has kids, and it's kind of amazing watching his kids grow up. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking, like, about where we came from, where we came from. And we came from pretty much... I, I hate to say nothing because I think everyone comes from something. There's something in, in there's something in you in your DNA and who you are. It does not matter what stage or walk or economic class you were in. That is inspiring. That God has like given you, and it is all over you. You can do something with it. And that is the point that you have to do something with whatever race you are, whatever burnout you feel, whatever luxury you may have. And if you do have luxuries that others do not. I hope you feel the weight and the pressure of creating and building something so large you can provide for other people and that you can bring them along. It is not your success is not the measure of you of your personal financial freedom, but on how many other people you can bring along into financial freedom with you. I love that. In fact, we, we came from not much. Not much. You know, one time Kim and I were walking down our neighborhood and um there are some guys that they're probably, you know, they're all immigrants from Latin America. And they were working construction and they all had brown paper bags and they're pulling their sandwiches with white bread and, um, and eating lunch during their break. And I said to Kim, you know how that, that old statement there, there, but by the grace of God, go I, I said, that's not true for me. That was me. I was the immigrant working construction, grabbing my lunch out of my brown paper bag, eating a sandwich on white bread. And, um, that, that, that was the life I had. I was the guy working construction every day. I was the guy digging ditches every day. I was the guy, you know, bussing tables and washing dishes and working in restaurants and working as a carpenter and jumping in being a lumberjack and, you know, just doing hard manual labor just to make it through the day. And during that season in my life, I wasn't happy in terms of the 
direction of my life. I felt a sense of emptiness. Um, but I didn't have the luxury of burnout. You know, and I remember uh, at one point in my life, I was um, sleeping in my car in the winter of North Carolina, and it was freezing cold, and going, I've got to do something with my life. Uh, this is not going well for me. And, and so, yeah, my backdrop, when I talk about things like burnout, there's a part of me that says, we got to learn how to suck it up. Right. We got to learn how to get up in the morning and go to work and do the hard work of living. And if you don't like your life, don't check out of it. Step up out of it. Yeah. And, and so part of my, um, my monologue is a frustration with a generation that has so much opportunity and so much privilege who then says, hey, you know, I just have too much stress and too much burnout. Right. And I'm not trying to not be empathetic. I'm trying to say there's more in you than you know. Yeah, and you need to find that 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 muscle inside of your character that says, "I'm going to get up, I'm going to get to work, and I'm going to create a better life." And and this is coming from two people who have definitely at times gone like, "Yeah, I'm at the end of my ability to stay healthy mentally." Yeah. Um, we work a lot, work really hard. Mm -hmm. There are burnout moments. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. And I think the difference is that we just don't label it. We just accept it that this is a moment in time and I need to counteract it with rest and, and happiness and joy and bringing good people and good things into my life. Mm -hmm. And we find the little breaks, we find the, the little pieces of joy and we focus on those. Yeah, so let me summarize. Burnout is not about how hard you work. Burnout is about doing work you don't love. And if you don't find some things in your life that you're passionate about, you, were, you will burn out. But, but no, but I, and this is, I want to wrap this up, but, but we keep saying that, but I've been burned out and I love this job. But you were burned out by the things you didn't love about it. No, no. no. I mean, yes, yes. If, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. But, but to do anything, you, you have to, to do anything great, you have to do things you don't like. Right. I don't know. So I guess the other option of burning out is setting yourself on fire. No, it's <laughs> not what it is. I, and living a life of passion. It is true. When I'm more passionate, it makes the hard things less annoying. Yeah. What's crazy to me is that when you're really passionate, right? when you're focused, you work harder than in those times where you feel burnout. I texted you this week and, and, and I, and I'm someone who definitely like, um, I have to work on an emotional gauge of mm -hmm. how hard I am on myself or how frustrated I may get with life or how much of a feeling I'm feeling in the moment and you're an amazing um, person who you're an amazing leader and mentor and dad you're able to kind of give me that level that level headedness of like hey you're good remember yesterday hey remember tomorrow you know you're gonna be fine but I texted you I was like I'm getting up 5 a.m. every morning waking up working going through the things that I feel like I need to get done because I'm so excited for for life and it doesn't mean I don't have bad days I just know that my narrative right now is gonna I'm gonna choose to be excited for the future versus being frustrated with with the now Anyways, so maybe burnout is just a natural part of the human experience that we all have ups and downs. We have times where we feel really fulfilled and times we wonder if what we're doing really matters. Yeah. And we just need to accept that humans are not monolithic, that we're not just one frequency. Right. That we have frequencies of joy and happiness and exhilaration, and we have frequencies of sadness and uh, discouragement and and maybe even pessimism yeah 
and that we shouldn't try to become a singular frequency human being yeah. but realize that there's complexity to us and those emotional experiences are part of what it means to be alive. Yeah. I accept it. All right. Let's end it. Hey, actually, I'm going to say thanks for the comments. Thanks for the feedback. Um, it makes always, I, I always feel a little anxious when I get negative comments, but I'm, I'm learning to become really exhilarated and excited and because at least people are listening. So I want to thank you for listening, even if you disagree. We hope, I hope you don't agree with everything. I hope there's things you disagree with. And I'm grateful for every person who sends emails to Aaron at batteratypodcast.com. And you go through all of them. I do go through all of them and I catch up and I email and I, I, I've spent like six or seven hours this week responding to emails. And I'm so, so, so grateful. A lot of beautiful emails. Thankful for the Instagram posts for mentioning us in your stories. We drop episodes every Tuesday and Friday on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. So if you want to go and write a review, give us a few stars, uh, leave a comment. We love it. We're so grateful. And preferably do that on iTunes. Share with your friends. And we don't always want to focus on the, on the uh, comments that um, are against what we say. So the next episode, we're going to focus on a comment to someone who actually asked a, a question that's so hard. We both said, man, this is above our pay grade. Yes. So this is exciting. <laughs> this, is a, this is a two piece. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Bad Ready Podcast. Hey, it's great to be with you, buddy. I love you. All right.